fourth watch starts now. Everybody, you're listening to the Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight's going to be a heavy discussion examining the new age occult infiltration of Christian bookstores and focusing on several pieces of demonic literature that's very likely been given to you, your family members, or even distributed at your local church. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Demons Calling with Remnant Revolution co-host BDK. Well, it's Thursday again, and I am so excited to be back with you all, and we have quite an adventure for you tonight. I want to say a big thank you once again to everyone who's been so gracious to give and further the good fight of the Fourth Watch Ministries. And I pray that the Lord would multiply your gifts back unto each of you richly. If you're feeling led to help support this ministry, you can head on over to fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. That's fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you can easily give by clicking the PayPal donate button on the right side of the screen. If you would rather mail your love gifts and support, you can write to Justin Fall, J-U-S-T-E-N-F-A-U-L-L, Fourth Watch Ministries, that's all spelled out, F-O-U-R-T-H-W-A-T-C-H, Ministries, P.O. Box 1145, Snellville, Georgia, 30078. That's Snellville, S-N-E-L-L-V-I-L-L-E, Georgia, 30078. All gifts should be made out to the order of Justin Fall. We truly appreciate your support as we're growing and reaching more people each week. Now, if you're a new listener, we're very grateful to have you tuning in, and we want to let you know that there's a brand new show posted every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard on the 4th Watch Spreaker page, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com, Spreaker.com. There you can search the 4th Watch or Justin Fall. You can go to the 4th Watch Blogspot page mentioned earlier. You can also go to the Justin Fall YouTube channel, or you can subscribe for auto-download in iTunes. Now, I recommend that everybody just easily download the 4th Watch app for your smartphones and mobile devices for free. And this way, you're going to have the easiest listening experience on the go. If you want the app, just search Justin Fall in your app stores for Apple and Android. I'm also pleased to announce that 4thWatchRadio.com will be officially launching soon and will be a one-stop hub for your 4th Watch experience. So praise God. Now tonight's going to be a stressful discussion, but it's one that truly has to be had. The demonic infiltration of the Christian bookstores and churches is out of control. And many people are just welcoming in these familiar spirits into their homes and even their lives without knowing it. We are literally dealing with various degrees of witchcraft and doctrines of demons that are flooding the so-called Christian realms. And tonight, we break it down in depth. 
BDK and I will also be doing another show, a follow-up show, in the near future, breaking down the Christian music industry and how it has many Vatican puppet masters, as well as how much of the famous hit Christian music is priming the church for the one-world religion and the rise of the Antichrist. But we won't have time to hit on that tonight. But one last announcement before we bring on BDK. It is possible that there won't be an episode of The Fourth Watch next week as I am in crunch time on this recent film project, but I will do my best to have a brand new show for you all. So be sure to keep an eye on my YouTube, Spreaker, and Facebook pages next Thursday at 11 a.m., but don't be shocked if we have to take a week off. Just a heads up, and I'd ask that you also be praying for me as I am working more hours in a week than a healthy individual should ever be working. But this job is coming to an end, praise God, and as I said, it is crunch time And I really need your prayers. Now, with that said, we are going to go ahead and go to the line with BDK. BDK, welcome back to the fourth watch. How are you tonight? I'm doing wonderful, my brother. How are you? I'm good. How come I'm all jacked up and happy and hyper and you come in with this like very white voice? I'm good, brother. Because I am Mr. Smooth Bible commentator. Whoa. I'm jacked up. I'm jacked up. You're like, hey, baby. Hey, baby, want to study the Bible with me? Baby, I'm BDK. Who's your BDK? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We've got so much to talk about tonight, and uh, we were going to have a regular Remnant Revolution tonight, and we've got an amazing show we're working on right now. It's in the background, but um, Kay was not able to be with us tonight, and Chad was not either, so BDK and I are going to do what we do, and uh, you got your, your Remnant Revolution tag team coming at you tonight. And uh, we are going to be talking about some really heavy stuff. And a lot of people think that the church today is basically any flavor you want. As long as they profess the name Jesus Christ, then all is good. And those people are part of the body of Christ. But the church is not necessarily the body of Christ. And I think it's important that we do know how to draw a line in the sand to say these are what Christ, these are the things that Christ taught us. And we have to stand firm on the doctrines of the scriptures, the doctrines of the apostles. You know, a a good friend of mine, I'm not going to say his name. I don't want to do him any disservice because he is an awesome man of God. But he disagrees with my stance on the New Testament. He believes that when somebody comes to Christ, they should go back and start from the Old Testament and work their way up. Well, I disagree because we are living in the time of salvation. And I think that if someone wants to come to Christ, They need to see what Christ said directly in the New Testament so that they can understand the salvation message. That's my personal view. Now, the Old Testament to me is just as valuable. It's just as important. But the Old Testament has to be seen through the eyes of the New Testament. And the New Testament has to be seen through the eyes of the Old Testament. It's like a it's a give take relationship like you really need them both. But if somebody was on an island and all they had was a New Testament, they would have everything that they needed to know the Messiah. Would you agree with that, BDK? I would. And it's and it's so important that we know the Messiah. I mean, I think this is the key issue for tonight's conversation because there are so many people out there that have their own version of who the Messiah is. And all these deceptions that we're going to be talking about tonight is so important because as this age draws closer, together. As we draw closer to the end times, we find ourselves wisely asking the same question 
that the disciples asked Jesus. They asked him in Matthew 24, what would the end times be like? And to start our conversation off tonight, let's just briefly go to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, we find this account. And as he, that's Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus could have said a lot of things, and he does say a lot of things in Matthew 24. But the first thing that he says, the thing that we cannot miss, the first sign, the one that starts it all off, what, what's the foundational sign that all the other signs are built upon, is this one. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed, or warning, that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when when we read that, a lot of times we think of people like David Koresh, or that guy in Australia that says that he's Jesus, or maybe Maitreya, who says that he's Jesus, or Benjamin Krem, who says that Jesus is coming again. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. If you look at what that thing literally says, what his words literally were, and if you put yourself in the shoes of the apostles as they would have heard it, they would have heard Jesus say it specifically like this. Jesus says, in the end times, there's going to be a big deception coming at you guys. Many people are going to come to you in my name, Jesus, my name, saying that I, Jesus, am the Christ, and they will deceive many. That's how you can take that passage. I don't think the world is going to be deceived. The Christians en masse might not be deceived by someone actually claiming to be Jesus if he's kind of like a crackpot or a loop pot. I mean, like Waco, Texas wasn't filled to the brim with people believing that David Koresh was really, truly Jesus. The damning, dangerous thing, the deception, the, the subtle deception is this. There will come a group of people in the end times that actually say that Jesus is God. They'll say that Jesus is the Christ, and that's a new age term that they co-opted. They'll say that he's Christ, or he's part of the Christ consciousness, or that he is this prophet. They will actually say that he is, and they will claim to be Christians. They'll come in his name, but yet their doctrine will deceive many. And we see that in the end times, if you take Matthew 24, through it, we see in the end times that the Antichrist comes upon the stage. This New Age Antichrist, and he has a false religion. And we see, if we take it even further into the book of Revelation, that the whole world comes together in this ecumenical New Age movement, led by the false prophet, who is an apostate Christian. And they worship Lucifer in this new age religion that we've been seeing being played out on this stage of human history now for the last 50 years at least, and even probably since the turn of the 19th century, if you take it all the way back to like the Theosophical Society, these things have been going on and our faith is being hijacked. And today we're going to talk about some very startling proofs that this has really truly permeated the very fabric and mind of Protestantism and evangelical Christian. And we will really begin to see how close we are.
to the end times. And I want to say the whole idea of this one world church or this uh, one world religion, uh, because really it, it, you don't really have to, to throw a stone very far to realize that one of the characteristics of the beast and his system is going to be the one world religion. I mean, this is just kind of one of those things, you know, regardless of people's stance on rapture timing or eschatology. I mean, granted, if somebody's a preterist for crying out loud, yeah, they're, they're going to be, you know, just in the dark completely about these things for the most part. <laughs> but, um, and I'm sorry if you're a preterist, you're probably, actually, if you're a preterist, you probably don't listen to the show anymore. But, the fact is, this one world religion, you, you don't have to look far to see that this is a defining element of Satan. Because there will be a one world religion that is brought about in the end times, which it's already we're being primed for right now. And I think really in order for that to take place, the so-called Christian or Protestant, whatever you want to call that, the, the Protestant or the Christian um religion, if you want to use that term, that has to literally be softened. If Christianity is not softened and watered down and chipped away, then there will be no one world religion. And I realize that people say the same thing about Islam, the same thing about Judaism, but because those are the three, the three big world religions. But there's only one real religion. See, Judaism is a false religion. Islam's a false religion. The only true religion is the belief system and the faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only true religion, if you want to use that word religion. Um, I really don't have a problem using that word religion because in our modern society, that's the, that's the word that we all relate to. People say, well, what religion are you? You know, you go sign up on match.com and what does it say? What religion are you? Uh, it's just like the, um, you know, that's just like the common word. So some of you are not going to like me using the term religion, but really the faith, the only true faith is in Jesus Christ. And there's no other faith that will ever allow man to be reconciled with our creator, with God. So um, anyway, that's the whole purpose of what we're getting into tonight. I know we've kind of had a lengthy introduction, but this one world religion has to chip away at Christianity. Most of you know this, but we're going to be getting into some of the elements tonight that you may or may not be as familiar with. I know that my mind is still blown uh, with some of the things we're going to get into, but uh, last week when I had David James on, we briefly touched on the book, Jesus Calling. And I've got a couple personal stories I'm going to mention here tonight about Jesus Calling. Um, it's very possible that some of you listening right now have this book or some of these books in your home. And I want you to know that we prayed before we started recording that God would already soften the hearts and prepare the ears of the listeners for these topics. And even even if you're familiar with Jesus calling and you can you can realize that that's not good by the time we get into the last segment of the show there's going to be some people that are going to get ticked off I can guarantee you but I really hope that you'll listen with an open heart and really think about these things and search them out for yourselves so BDK go ahead and start us off with Jesus calling I know it's funny because David and I talked about it briefly last week and then I get an email from you and you're like dude we got to talk about Jesus calling. And so, and I had people write me after last week's show and man, we only scratched the surface, bro. We only scratched the surface and people are already writing me and they're like, wow, I fell into the trap. So anyway, with that said, BDK, go ahead and, and break it down for us. And then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of just expound on it. Well, first of all, we need to realize that this, what, what really got my interest in this Jesus calling book was 
I uh, look at the Christian Evangelical Publisher Association um, books. I, I'm a big avid reader. Everybody that knows me knows that that I try to read a book a week, and I just love reading books. And I was looking at the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association report. Every month they put out a top 25 listing of the different genres of Christian books that are available. And the Christian adult bestsellers for last month, April 2016, really struck a chord with me. And I just want to look at the top 15 for a moment. Out of the top 15 books, the first one was Jesus Calling. It was also number 13. So it it came in twice. And number 13 was the deluxe edition of Jesus Calling. It's literally this Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. It it, it tracks every time you go into a Christian bookstore and buy a book or every time a book is bought and that code is scanned on the book. It catalogs what are the bestsellers. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, Jesus Calling is number one and number 13. Number 15 is Imagine Heaven, which is a book on near-death experiences, which, you know, go back a week and listen to the show that Justin did about this new age sort of, like, theme that goes through some of these near-death experiences. And then number three... Number six, number seven, number eight, and number 14. So five out of the top 15 are these adult coloring books. And I'm like, adult coloring books? Why are people like buying adult coloring books like nonstop? What is like the fascination? What's the fad here? The one of them is called Whatever is Lovely Adult Coloring Book. Inspiring Words Adult Coloring Book. Today is going to be a great day, Adult Coloring Book. The Promises of God Adult Coloring Book and the Amazing Grace Adult Coloring Book. And we're going to get into the coloring books a little bit later and the New Age implications of these coloring books. But I'm like, wow, this is kind of like a sad state in Christianity because the top 25 books, there's not really any huge theology books in them. They're all kind of puff. And there's like a bunch of Joel Olstein and a bunch of megachurch books. I mean, it's just your classic stuff. But the top 15 has like those eight or nine books straight up New Age. And the Christian books, man, that is a million upon million dollar industry. Christians love to spend money on books. They love to spend money on bracelets, T-shirts. I mean, we we patronize these Christian people with our money and they take notice of it and they give us what we want. They give us what we demand. And if Jesus's words are true, then in the end times, we're going to see a defection from the faith into these fables or these New Age teachings, and it's going to grip the hearts, minds, and imaginations of people. So to start our discussion off, let's look at at least three serious problems with Jesus calling. Now we might get to more, but let's, let's try to look at three big ones that if you can just take three points, I'm going to try to give you the best evidence against Jesus calling. And I'm not doing this to 
you know, take issue with Sarah Young. I'm not doing this to take issue with people that read the book or have been deceived by the book. I'm doing this in hopes that we will see that this book is another Jesus, that it's the new age calling, that it's Lucifer calling, that it's a false messiah calling. And if you're deceived by this, I want to show you three important things that show that, first of all, it's a New Age book. It's a heavily edited book, specifically so that they can make money out the thing. And the third thing that I hope is that since this is, I mean, this book was written in 2004, and if it's still the number one bestseller today and it holds two spots in the top 15, like odds are, as a Christian, someone might ask you about this, and I want to give you some very reasonable things that you can use to engage the conversation. So the first serious problem we have with Jesus calling is that she speaks for God. Now, if you're not familiar with the book Jesus Calling, basically it's a woman who has this prayer journal, and she gets alone with God, and she starts writing these messages from Jesus, and then she puts these messages out, and they're like these devotionals written from the point of view of Jesus himself, and they're words to encourage and build you up in your faith so that you can live this victorious, peaceful, harmonious, heavenly-centered, that's what their term, Christian life. And this heavenly-centering, that's a New Age term. But the publisher of the book describes the book this way. After, quote, after many years of writing her own words in her prayer journal, missionary Sarah Young decided to be more attentive to the Savior's voice and begin listening to what he was saying. So with pen in hand, she embarked on a journey that forever changed her and many others around the world. In these powerful pages, our words and scriptures, Jesus lovingly laid on her heart. Words of reassurance, comfort, and hope. Words that have made her increasingly aware of his presence and allowed her to enjoy his peace. Unquote. Now, there is no way to skirt around the claim that she is supposedly claiming to communicate with Jesus. And that claim raises a host of concerns, not which, not the least of which is the doctrine that Scripture alone assures us that the Bible alone is sufficient to guide us in all matter of faith and practice. In the introduction to her first book, Jesus Calling, Young writes, quote, I knew that God communicated with me in the Bible. But I yearned for more. Quote. Wow. So my question, the first one we need to ask ourselves is, why is God's word in this best-selling book being devalued as insufficient in delivering the true spiritual nourishment that God himself claims that it offers his children? Why... Are we as Christians really seeking more to go beyond what is written in Scripture, to have a better experience than the all-sufficiency of the Word of God? 
No, I mean, it, it just goes right back to the fact that people want more. They want more and they want more. And I'm going to be very careful how I say this, but I think we're dealing with the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Amen. That just came out. I was not planning on saying that. But as you're saying these things, I mean, for somebody to want more than the word of God, I mean, the word of God, what, what does the Bible tell us? It says man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's the paraphrase version. But that's what we need to live is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we live by. And for somebody to not be satisfied with the complexity of the Bible, I mean, goodness gracious, it's the most complex book there is. If you, I mean, it's got everything. It's got adventure. It's got mystery. It's got love stories. It's got scandals. It's got murder. Everything you could ever imagine is in there. Everything that God expects from you is in there. But the most important thing is the gospel message. And if that in and of itself is not good enough for someone, they're seeking alternative sources. And that seems to be what Sarah Young has done is seeking alternative sources. So what she decides to do is she's going to channel material from God. Now, of course, you can't channel material from God. So she's channeling material from something that she calls God. That's my take on this. And that's exactly what she's doing. And it's interesting because this book has struck such a chord with people because they're yearning for more. It's like you, you hit it right on. We have this desire within ourselves to have our flesh titillated by these supernatural experiences. And I'm not saying that, you know, having an experience with God where you encounter him in, in a holy, awesome, supernatural way is a bad thing or that doesn't happen in the Bible. But if it never happens to you, would it be enough? First Timothy 4, 6 says this. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, then thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. The Bible is very clear. If we're going to write a book that's going to minister to people in the name of Jesus Christ, then it must be nourished up with the words of Jesus, the words of faith and of good doctrine. And I love what the King James says, whereunto thou has attained, which literally means in the non-King James language, which you have followed closely. You see, we can follow the words of God closely. That's why he gave us the words. They are sufficient for every one of our needs. And if you look at some of the polls that are out there, this really doesn't surprise me on another level because polls have shown that people spend on average 15 minutes a day in prayer and an hour a week in the Bible, reading the Bible. Now, there are many hours in the day, and yet we as Christians haven't mastered the discipline of reading the Bible every single day. For long periods of time, our attention span has not gotten to the point where it just consumes us and drives us to find these words of hope, 
But we have all the time in the world to color books and we have all the time in the world to find out more and more and more and to hear these fanciful words of Jesus because we prefer the style maybe that it's written in. It's neat to hear Jesus speak to me through Sarah. It it makes it so personal, like he's sitting in the room and I just needed that in my spiritual life to freshen it up a little bit. Well, you know, I I have to say, though, maybe it's possible that the reason Sarah Young is not being fulfilled by reading the Word of God by itself is because you can't have the Word of God by itself. You have to have the Word of God with the Holy Spirit. Bingo. Now, I, wow, I, you know, maybe, maybe this is going to really hurt someone's feelings. But if you're not being fed by the Word of God, or if you don't feel that the Bible is speaking to your heart, and look, hey, look, some of you, I'll be the first to say, some days I go to read my Bible and I can't get my focus. I can't because I'm under attack. And I really have to pray and say, Father, please allow your spirit to translate your word into my heart. And that's the only interpretation of scripture is by the means of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that. So if Sarah Young is not satisfied, if she can't get enough out of the Bible because you know, the Bible, it, it, basically the Bible hits a brick wall and then she's still hungry because she's some kind of elevated prophetess and she needs more than the Bible. It's because she doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Because she will not be fully fulfilled in Christ without the Holy Spirit. So uh, again, she's seeking this divine revelation, further revelation from God. That right there tells you that she's not operating in the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, there are people freaking out of what you said, Justin, because there are going to be people out there listening that are like, well, how dare you say that she didn't have the Holy Ghost? How dare you judge her and look into her heart and say that she was not inspired by the Holy Spirit and that she's drawing inspiration from things other than the Holy Ghost in her life, that she somehow treasures mystical experiences and occultic New Age experiences? Well, how about we let Sarah Young, in her own words, tell you where she lands on this? Because the second problem with Jesus Calling by Sarah Young is that this quote-unquote Christian book is actually inspired by a New Age book. Now, the introduction to the very early editions of Jesus Calling we find that Sarah is recounting how she discovered the book God Calling and how she modeled her practice of listening to Jesus on it. She describes that this book God Calling, this which is a Catholic mystical New Age book, she describes it as a devotional book written by two anonymous woman listeners. Now, these two women practiced quietly waiting on God's presence, pencils and paper in hand. And then they recorded the messages they received from this this spirit claiming to be Jesus using automatic writing. Now, Sarah Young says this, quote, This little paperback became a treasure to me, and it dovetailed remarkably well with my longing for more to live in Jesus' presence. So 
her desire, like Justin said, wasn't like, I want to read the Bible full of the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost reveal the mysteries of God. And I want to be like a spiritual Indiana Jones and covering the deep things of God and go on a spiritual adventure with my lover, my Messiah. No, it was, I'm feeling dry, I'm feeling bored. But hey, I found this other little book, this little paperback, quote unquote, that was a treasure to me. It was God calling. This new age mystical Book. Now, what's really interesting is that in the recent versions of Jesus Calling, the publishers take this information out of the book. They actually remove it. They sanitize it. They scrub it. They damage control it. Why? Why take the reference out of Sarah Young saying that this New Age book was such a treasure to her and that the way that they listened to God and channeled God was the way that she was doing it? Well, Very simply, the publishers really came to the point where they just could not logically defend themselves against the claims that God Calling was an actual New Age book that contained blatant New Age teachings written by New Agers for New Agers. And it's not the only time that the publisher made corrections to this book, which begs the question, does Jesus need an editor? Well, hold on, hold on, though, hold on, because you're about to hit some. You're about to hit the nail on the head right here, and it's about to get real deep. But before you go there, I have to say something. Um, I just want to remind people: if you have this book in your home, which I hope you don't, but if you do, you can go look on the book. I just want to remind everybody the official description because I think this is very telling. The official description it says Jesus calling is a devotional filled with uniquely inspired treasures from heaven for every day of the year. It's claiming to be inspired. I, I mean, how do you get around that? How do you how do you look at something like this from a Christian perspective, knowing that the Bible is uniquely inspired, but now they're saying Jesus calling is uniquely inspired and it's treasure from heaven. I mean, how do you, how do you look at something like this and not get upset? You know, and I know, look, I know some of you out there, you, you, you probably were given the book at church. Maybe some women gave it to you. Cause like I've said before, it's, it's really geared towards women. It's a demographically targeted item and women get this book and, you know, they, they maybe they're in a, a Bible study group and this book centers up in the Bible study and everybody has a copy. You know, you're just reading through it and you're being seduced by it. I understand. I know what it feels like to be seduced by demonic spirits. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But the fact that they would even claim that it's uniquely inspired. It doesn't say it's inspiring. It claims to be uniquely inspired. That right there should be enough for you to run and throw it in the fire. I'm sorry, BDK, please. I I just I I, I want I want to get that out there. Because, you know, it's one thing for us to give our opinions on things, but it's another thing to actually give quotes or tell somebody to go pull up this piece of garbage called Jesus Calling out of their, out of their, you know, bookshelf and look on the cover or the back cover, depending on which version you have, and you'll see it. And I'm going to give you quotes in just a second from this book that really gets to the heart of this matter about it being kind of like this book that the publishers You know, they're like, oh, it's uniquely inspired, but we need to edit stuff. 
Like, like, how do you edit Jesus? Well, if you really thought it was uniquely inspired, you wouldn't do that. Jesus doesn't need damage control. Jesus doesn't need an editor or a PR spin machine. You know, most people that would have Christian integrity would be like, oh, obvious New Age references. Oh, unscriptural things in this book. Maybe we should not publish it. But this book is a cash cow. And why would they leave any money on the table when they could just kind of, you know, sanitize or scrub some of this out? So they they actually go, and now they're going to make some changes to this book. And let's look at some of these changes, because a lot of people are going to come into defense, and they're going to pull out their recent editions and say, well, well, that's not claiming this, and it doesn't say this, and this is all legit, and it tells us to read our Bible and not to take it and... But we don't see the original fruit and the roots of this book were rotten. That originally it came under false channeling. That originally it had all kinds of error in it. And you can't get sweet from curse. That's a biblical principle. You can't get good from the, from the false stream. You, you can't take something that's rotten in its foundations and this you know, spray cologne on it to make it smell good. But then in reality, it's still rotting deep within. So let me just read you some quotes so that there can be no doubt as to what they're up to. In the recent edition of Jesus Calling, all 10 references to the word message and messages have been deleted from the introduction. Because when you kick the book off and you pick it up, we don't want to make it sound like it's channeling per se. So let's let's take those word messages and messages out from the beginning introduction so that we don't get people to just, you know, put the book back on the shelf right away if they're just standing there and reading it in the bookstore. What was originally described as messages that she received from Jesus is now being described as writings and devotions that she gleaned in her quiet moments. So see how they're going to flip this. In her original introduction, it says this, quote, This practice of listening to God has increased my intimacy with him more than any other spiritual discipline. This is the contemplative prayer stuff that we'll discuss in a second. So I want to share some of the messages that I received. In many parts of the world, Christians seem to be searching for a deeper experience of Jesus' presence and peace. The messages that follow address that felt need. So in the original introduction, these are messages that she received from Jesus because people were longing for a deeper experience of Jesus' presence and peace. And these messages that she received from Jesus are going to address this obvious need within the heart of Christianity. But now here's the replacement wording in the recent editions. It now says, this practice of being still in God's presence has increased my intimacy with him more than any other spiritual discipline. So I want to share some of the writings I have gleaned in these quiet moments. So it's no longer I receive messages automatically writing things down in New Age practices, No, these are just some writings that I gleaned in quiet reflections with God. In many parts of the world, Christians seem to be searching for a deeper experience of Jesus' presence and peace. These devotions that follow address that felt need. Here's another one. 
the sentence in her original introduction says, these messages are meant to be read slowly, preferably in a quiet place, taking us into the guided meditation garbage we'll talk about later. It has been replaced with this in the recent editions. The devotions in this book are meant to be read slowly, preferably in a quiet place with your Bible open. Now check this out. They put that in there so that they'd be, they could say, well, we're encouraging people to read the Bible along with it. So check it out. But then they ran into a huge, huge problem because when they attempted to make it look like they were encouraging people to use the Bible, people started noticing that the things that Jesus was saying was not in the Bible and that they were changing some of the things that Jesus was saying. In the August 23rd message to the original edition, it says this. This is what Jesus is supposedly saying. August 23rd message, original edition. Entrust your loved ones to me. Release them into my protective care. And why me and my care, this is supposed to be Jesus telling you to do this. They are much safer with me than in your clinging hands. If you let a loved one become an idol in your heart, if you endanger that one as well as yourself, remember the extreme measures I used with Abraham and Isaac. I took Isaac to the very point of death to free Abraham from sun worship. Both Abraham and Isaac suffered terribly because of the father's undisciplined emotions. I detest idolatry, even in its form of parental love. Mm. Well, the problem with that is that the Bible never accuses Abraham of loving his son more than God or having undisciplined emotions or that Isaac somehow suffered terrible scarring or any sort of emotional or physical trauma. No, Abraham had faith in God. It says that he was willing to offer up his son to God because he logically deduced that if God promised that he would bless all nations through the seed of his son, then God would keep that son alive and even raise him from the dead if he needed to. He is actually listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews because of his sound faith, not undisciplined emotions. So Jesus, in Jesus' calling, got this one completely wrong. So the editors needed to step in and change it. So now if you pick up Jesus' calling and you can go to August 23rd, it now reads this. Entrust your loved ones to me. Release them into my protective care. They are much safer with me than in your clinging hands. If you let a loved one become an idol in your heart, you endanger that one as well as yourself. Joseph and his father, Jacob, suffered terribly because Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons and treated him with special favor. So Joseph's brother hated him and plotted against him. Ultimately, I used that situation for good. But both father and son had to endure years of suffering and separation from one another. I detest idolatry, even in the form of parental love. So beware of making a beloved child your idol. Now, right now, it sounds it sounds like you're reading from the Bible. Like that that's what gets me so freaking upset is that it sounds like you're reading scripture because you're reading in first person as if you are God. Yeah, and and, and if this was God, if we give Sarah Young the benefit of the doubt, let's just give it to her. 
let's just totally be gullible and give it to her and say that it really was Jesus giving her these messages. Let's give her that. Let's us be big and give it to her. Then her Jesus makes mistakes. Her Jesus, who is the living word of God, who is the actual embodiment of the word of God, got it wrong and needed an editor to bail him out. So if that's the Jesus of Jesus calling, then that is a weak Jesus. And it is not a Jesus that we should be listening to. No. But obviously, the real Jesus wouldn't get it wrong, because that means that he gets himself wrong as the living word of God. You know, and the thing that gets me about all this, BDK, is that if you go to the Christian bookstore or you go to just any Christian bookstore online, you're going to find out that there is, like you said, there's an empire of Jesus calling books. I mean, we're not just dealing with a couple episodes. We're dealing with like multiple versions of Jesus calling. They're, they're even producing it to look like Bibles now. They've got them with like the flex soft, the fake leather cover, um, to look just like the Bibles look. They've got Jesus calling for kids, Jesus calling for toddlers, Jesus calling for graduates. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, it's all marketed. They've got Jesus calling framed artwork selling for like 60 bucks. I mean, this is the, heap of marketing that they're putting around this stuff because they know that it sells because people want signs and wonders. They, they want this divine revelation. They're seeking for these pastors that are putting on a show with these false signs and wonders. And that's exactly what Jesus calling is because people read this book and they feel like they're getting closer to God because they're getting words from a prophetess. And I'll be real, real careful how I say this. But this woman, Sarah Young, is nothing short of a Jezebel. She's seducing people with doctrines of demons. And she's claiming to get words and messages directly from God. And this is a number one bestseller in the quote-unquote Christian publishing. And you're reading these things, and I'm over here, my, my blood is boiling because you're reading these things, and I'm having to listen to Sarah Young write as if she is God. And then you have to listen to how the publisher is covering stuff up. But wait, that was only after, because you made the point, that, and this is really interesting, BDK, you, you came up with something really, really great here. You made the point that the original published books that were in circulation, they became the cash crop. But then obviously there became some people raising eyebrows and probably writing Thomas Nelson publishers with the same concerns that we're sharing. And so they decide, well, we're not just going to pull it off the shelf because it makes us too much money. So we're just going to edit a couple words to try to make it not so new age. That, that's what you're telling us. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what they did because to them, this is the cash cow. Or more, more ac- adequately, I don't like cash cow. This is the golden calf. And why do I say that? Because Christians and the children of God at the Mount of Sinai, when they did the original golden calf, They wanted an idol that they could worship on their own terms. They wanted their own version of God, one that wouldn't look down upon them, one that couldn't see, hear, or speak, one that wouldn't call them on their sin or make them feel uncomfortable, one that they could look upon. And what did they do? They gave of their gold. They gave of their money. They gave of their earrings. They gave of all their worldly possessions to the priests to melt down to make this golden cash cow. And it's the same thing that's going on today. 
we in Christianity, we want to have these mystical experiences. We want to have a new age Jesus that doesn't call us on our sin, that doesn't hold us accountable, that gives us the quick and easy answers, that doesn't hear, seek, or or see, or, or feel, or hear the things that are wrong in our life, and we'll give our tithes, and we'll give our offerings, and we'll give our gold, and we'll give our silver to make these cash cows. So before we even get so upset at Thomas Nelson, Thomas Nelson's just saying, hey, man, this makes us money. We'll, we'll sanitize it if we have to sanitize it. We don't care because it's the bottom line. And we as Christians are guilty of giving them money. I mean, it just doesn't show up on the 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 booksellers list in two spots just out of random. I mean, since 2004, Justin, this book was written in. And it's still tracking at the top. Oh yeah, and it's gonna keep it's gonna keep tracking. And she keeps putting out these new versions and this, that, and the other, and specialty versions. But the, the problem, you know, obviously this was geared towards women originally because we were dealing with a woman, a woman, basically a female Jesus who has entered the scene, and she's got all these messages, and and women just really ate it up. I mean, you know, women were just eating it like corn out of her hand. Um, and and I say that because like you know a farmer would like feed deer corn out of his hand. But anyway, the whole thing that I'm looking at here, like the bio, this is what kills me because it's grown so much. And even her official bio uh, that I've copied here from christianbook.com, it says that Sarah Young is quietly leading millions of men and women worldwide on a journey of intimacy with Christ. Now, let, let me just edit this. Let me just give you the fourth watch version. Sarah Young is quietly misleading Millions of men and women worldwide on a journey of intimacy with herself, the false Christ, because she is a false Christ. Christ is not speaking through her. I'm going to say this very boldly. I'm not saying God can't speak today because I believe people get prophetic words today. But I'm going to tell you just like this. BDK has already pointed out how her Jesus has made error when compared to the Jesus of the Bible. So we know that she is a false prophet. Okay? There is no such thing as spitting out the bones with a real prophet. This is one of those things that kills me. You know, some, I remember I used to, I used to hang out with some people years ago when I was in the hyper charismatic movement and they were really, really big on going down to like this IHOP meeting. And, uh, we're not going to get into IHOP tonight because, you know, that, that's just, there's too much to talk about there. But I don't want to muddy the water on this. But they would talk about, oh man, we, you got to come down to this IHOP meeting there. They got these prophecy circles and, and everyone's just prophesying. And, you know, all you got to do is just walk up and they will be guaranteed to give you a prophecy. They will speak a word of prophecy over your life and it's guaranteed. And I said, you know, I, I just have a problem with this because I don't think you can just go up and just put a quarter in the machine and get a prophecy. And they said, no, no, I mean, th- there's going to be some things, you know, you just kind of have to spit out the bones. They said, this is one of the things they teach you. I don't know if they're still doing this at IHOP or not. So th- this was, this was like 11 years ago, but they told me that one of the things they teach you at IHOP in the ministry training is that in prophecy, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have to spit out the bones. They said, it's like eating chicken. You eat the meat and you spit out the bones. And I think everyone listening has at least eaten a hot wing before you get all the meat off the bone, then you throw the bone away. Well, that's nothing like prophecy. Because a prophet of God is going to get 10 out of 10 prophecies correct. Because our God does not make mistakes. But a false prophet who's operating under the guise of familiar spirits, they may get 9 out of 10 prophecies correct. 
But if they get nine out of 10, they're a false prophet. And Sarah Young is a false prophetess. And she is misleading millions of men and women. And I know that she's getting into the bed of men. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I was at church years ago. I was serving in a church. My dad was the pastor and the music minister, a dear friend of the family, loves the Lord, but very deceived in many areas. He's just, he, he's, he's not as mature as many of us are who are awake to these things. And it doesn't mean he's not a believer. He's very much a believer. He's got a very sincere heart and he loves the Lord. I know him personally, but he's very deceived by certain things. And his wife got all up inside of this Jesus calling movement. And we're in church one Sunday morning. And some of you may know how it is. Your worship leader is, is, you know, leading us all in worship. And then between songs, they'll pray, maybe read some passages from the scriptures, from the Bible. Well, we got between a song and he pulls out this little purple Bible. Well, it looked like a Bible BDK. I mean, it, it had that fake leather cover and everything. And he's reading and he says that this was the word the Lord gave him this morning on the way to church. He and his wife were reading this in the car as he drove to church. And he reads this section of the Bible, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? Why did he not quote the passage? You know, why is he just, you know, you know, you read the Bible and you say, okay, that was Proverbs, or that was First John, or Second Peter. There was none of that. And then there was a pause, and something really hit me hard in the heart. And I was like, what is this? Come to find out, he was reading from the pulpit a section of Jesus calling. Mm. And my dad, my dad goes to him, Obviously, off the record, he didn't want to he didn't want to call him out in front of people. It was not right. He went to him privately, just like we read about in the gospel. And he told him, he said, what you did up there was absolutely unbiblical and it was wrong. He said, there will be no reading of any book from the pulpit if it's not the word of God. He says that book you read was not the word of God and it's misleading. And it didn't happen again. But that's how deep this Jesus calling conspiracy goes. They've got whole Bible studies, kind of like the purpose driven life. They're doing whole Bible studies at churches, Jesus calling Bible studies. I mean, this is how deep it is. They're handing them out to people at church. Matter of fact, you can go to the the Christian uh, bookstores online and you can buy cases of Jesus calling so that you can have a Jesus calling Bible study. That's what they're calling it, but it's not a Bible study. It's a Sarah Young channeled automatic writing doctrines of demons book study club. That's what that is. I just want to tell one other thing. And I told you this, I told you this on the phone the other night. There was a girl who invited me over for dinner one time. This was um, probably a little over a year ago, roughly. I, I don't know, but really nice girl. And she wanted to, she just wanted to have me over to cook me dinner. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I get over to her apartment and uh, we had dinner and we were having a really good conversation about the Unitarian church. Because uh, apparently she came from a strong Christian family, but when her parents got divorced, uh, I think it was her dad's side of the family. I think her dad kind of went off the deep end and joined a Unitarian church, got all up in the New Age movement and everything. And her mom, I guess, was still on the the conservative Christian side. And she said, it's just kind of weird. You know, she says, my sister told me that it was demonic. And I said, well, it is demonic. You know, and I went to the website. They had a woman pastor and the woman pastor was very New Age, had like crystals on and stuff. And uh, I watched a couple clips of their sermon online and I turned it off and I said, yeah, this is totally satanic. Um, I mean, I, I don't have time to get into all of what I found, but we were having a really good discussion of doctrine and the Bible after dinner. And she wanted to show me something. So she goes back to her bedroom to find something. I go to the bathroom and as I come out of the bathroom, she's flipping through some things in her bedroom. So I walked in there 
And I noticed why, cause I, I, you know, she was trying to find something in her closet to show me. And on the nightstand, there was a Jesus calling Bible. That's right. You heard it correctly. A Jesus calling Bible. And I believe, uh, now that I had a chance to think about it, I'm pretty sure it was the new King James because I looked up online earlier and that's what they're putting it out. They're doing the new King James Jesus calling Bible. And that's not a surprise because Thomas Nelson is behind the new King James, if I'm not mistaken. So I asked her, she, she pulled up, she had some folders and stuff she was pulling out to show me some things. And so we walked back into the main room and I asked her, I said, I want to ask you about your Bible in there. She's like, oh yeah, I love it. And I said, you realize that that's a new age satanic book? And I said, what you have there is you've got the Bible that's embedded with satanic doctrine throughout the pages. She says, but I love it. It makes me feel so good when I read it. You know, I read them and I told you, BDK, she used that Bible. Her Bible was used. I mean, you could you could look at it and tell that this Bible had had a lot of use. And this is what broke my heart the most, ladies and gentlemen, was that here's a, a young woman who, who loves the Lord. At least she seemed to love the Lord. And she is getting her spiritual edification, per se, by reading Sarah Young's commentary and devotions. That was what was helping her draw near to God in her mind. And so what was happening was she was basing her relationship with God based on false doctrine. And there's going to be a lot of people that are like, well, you know what? Let's just look at the positive of this for a moment. I mean, like, after all, she at least was reading her Bible. And that that's a good thing, right? She's being inspired. That's a good thing, right? I mean, what's really so wrong with all of this? Maybe it's just a literary device that she's using to put Jesus in the first person. Maybe it's not as bad as what you're making it seem to be. Well, the third problem, And the final big problem with Jesus calling is this, that Sarah Young's experiences comes through a practice that God does not endorse. And it leads people to engage in practices that God forbids and does not endorse, which is the contemplative prayer movement, the meditation movement, combined with automatic writing, which was how this book came about. So now that we see that she was following the pattern of the New Age book, God Calling, and that she was seeking something beyond the authority of Scripture, she, in her own words, quote, unquote, decides to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. It was at this point that she declared that her journaling, quote unquote, had changed from monologue to dialogue and that the, quote unquote, messages began to flow more freely. So she bought a special notebook to record these words. Now, the Bible is very specific that divination is out of bounds for Christians. And this is the problem that we have. In Matthew 24, Jesus says there's going to come people that are going to claim to be Christians. They're even going to say that I'm the Christ. But they're going to deceive many. Not only was this book 
really truly just birthed in these moments of contemplative prayer. Not only is, and we could spend two hours going through each and every reference of all the New Age teachings that is almost word for word identical to some of the stuff you'll find in Deepak Chopra and some of these other New Age Oprah books for women. But you are going to see that this New Age channeling is becoming such a hotbed issue in Christianity. And this is the deception, this new age deception that's going to drive people towards this one world religion. Now, I know what people are saying at this point. There are two common objections that people have when you have the guts to speak up about this kind of stuff. Because if you are going to stand for biblical truth, you speak up about this stuff and you're going to become ridiculed. People are going to say that you're being a heresy hunter. People are going to try to knock you down and make you seem like you're just out nitpicking and being evil. Like we as Christians are committing the gravest sin of all. We're naming names and we're talking about doctrine and things like that. But we shouldn't be be scared to talk about truth. You know, Paul didn't didn't say that you couldn't prophesy. Paul says, despise not prophesying. Paul wanted there to be the the moving of the spiritual gifts in meetings, but he also set up safeguards. He had elders judging the prophecies. He had three people making sure everything was confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. They were Bereans. They looked at the words through the lens of scriptures. They judged everything. And that's what's lacking in the Christian market today. Now, the two biggest issues people are going to say to you is what's wrong with contemplative prayer? This this new age meditation where people go into a room, center themselves and turn off all the distractions, shut down their conscious mind and just focus on Jesus. Maybe say Jesus over and over again. But the main thing is to turn off that panel of your mind and take the flesh out so that the Holy Ghost can channel himself through you. I mean, doesn't Psalm 4610 say, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, on the premise, they, they, they cherry-pick that scripture and they say, oh, be still and know that I'm God. That's teaching. That's their go-to passage for teaching contemplative prayer. And I just want to debunk this first one real, real quick. The term be still literally means to sink or to cease from striving. Picture a person who is stopping fighting against drowning in a storm. Okay. You could, and other translations have translated this rightly, I believe, by saying, cease striving and know that I am God. Basically, you can say, cease striving and know that I am God. Let go of your worries and doubts and fears that I can't save you. Stop trusting in your own strength. If you do, then you will know that I am God. I rule the nations. I whirl the earth. Don't be feared with worry and don't turn to the arms of men. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, The psalmist encourages the godly to know that the Lord is God. Though it was tempting to ally themselves with foreign powers, to rely on military strength, or to give themselves over to idolatry or pagan ways, the godly must learn to persevere unto the end. Throughout the history of Israel and Judah, several national distresses brought the temptation to abandon true religion for the security of political alliances, military strength, and worldly paganism. 
The people of God will distinguish themselves by the pursuit of godliness. Know that I am God. The knowledge of God includes a factual knowledge about him, his past acts, and his promises. But in this context, the psalmist calls on them to commit themselves to the Lord, to seek his refuge, to seek his strength, and for him to become their fortress. Psalm 4610 does not teach contemplative prayer. That word be still means stop trusting in the arms of flesh to save you. It's an action. It's a pro, it's not turn your mind off. It's actually go seek the things in scriptures that strengthen your faith to know that God wins in the end. So instead of turning your mind off, shutting down your critical thinking and meditating in some sort of neutral state, We are called to actively engage our mind, to search out the scriptures, to be like miners, to dig out factual knowledge about God, his past acts, and his promises to us. This scripture is not telling us to disengage our mind. It is telling us to engage our mind, search the scriptures, and build our life on the faith that that scriptural knowledge brings us. Amen. Now, the second thing, that people will say is, well, you know what? God is God and he's sovereign. And God can work outside the box if he wants to. He can do mystical things outside of his word. And he can talk to people and do whatever he wants. Just because some sort of mystical miracle is in in the Bible or just because some sort of sign and wonder or people falling on the ground laughing and barking like dogs isn't in the Bible doesn't mean that God can't do that, that God doesn't choose to go outside the box. BDK, Justin Fall, stop putting God in a box. The Bible is the standard. Yeah, and I could wax eloquent about this, but I'm not an eloquent dude. As you know, I say, dude, man, way too much. So I'm just going to read a short passage by Pastor Bob DeWay. He wrote an article called Contemporary Christian Divination, the false claims and practices of Christian mystics. And I, I want you just to, to check this out because he says this so succinctly and so logically and so beautifully that, that I just couldn't have said it any better myself. He says, quote, I have debated people about these techniques many times. They often say God can do anything and use anything. You're trying to put God in a box. I thought about putting God in a box and its accusations. The biblical record shows that it is God who purposefully limits the ways that we come to him. If there is a box, God made it. And I think a better analogy other than a box is a sheepfold, because after all, that is a biblical analogy. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs in some other way, he is a thief and a robber, John 10, 1. Jesus protects his sheep from the wolves, gives them pastures and abundant life, John 10, 10 through 15. Being in the sheepfold may seem restrictive compared to the adventures of exploring the bigger spiritual world out there, uncumbered by the guidance of the shepherd. However, restrictions are there to save our spiritual lives. The restrictions God places on how and by what means we may legitimately come to him and receive spiritual truth are for our own good. 
The spirit world that Christian mystics want us to explore is far more complex than even Carl Jung gives it credit for being. The dangers of deception are far more real. In fact, if we journey into the world of the spirits by means other than what God has ordained, we will be deceived, not may be deceived. The spirits who inhabit that world have been there for many thousands of years practicing the art of deception. The prohibition on divination is there to protect us from these malicious entities. So we are not putting God into a box. God is putting us into a sheepfold if we are willing to be there. The practice of thinking outside the box that is so popular today is fatal when it comes to spirituality. God has not left access to spiritual truth in the hands of innovative thinkers who like to blaze new trails. God has given himself access to himself once for all through Jesus Christ, who is our heavenly high priest. The truth is revealed once for all in the scripture, unquote. And the real question is this, and it gets right to the heart of the matter. Is the word of God and a life devoted to studying and applying those principles, is it enough for us or do we desire more? The times that we spend in the word of God studying, is it enough for us or do we want to be guided on mystical experiences? Because here's the thing. Satan is a master deceiver. He was able to hoodwink a third of the angels in the presence of God. Okay? Those angels were in the presence of God. They would be pretty unhoodwinkable in most people's rational thinking. It would take some mighty slick shenanigans to pull the wool over the eyes of someone who beheld God as he was, as he is, and as he ever will be. But yet Lucifer is so deceptive that he was able to hijack the salvation of a third of the heavenly host into serving him in hell. Us human beings in our fallen state, in our fleshly mind that desires our flesh to be titillated, that desires outside experiences beyond God. We are all the willing and all the susceptible, even more so than those third of the angels who lived in God's presence to be deceived. So God in his mercy said, you know what? I have settled forever my word in heaven. I will not go beyond what my word says, and I'm going to do it for your protection. Because if a prophet comes to you and prophesies in my name and their word does not come to pass, then pay them no heed. They are a false prophet. That is an example of his word being settled forever in heaven. And we're told to test it, though. We're told to test all things. All things we're told to test. And how do we test it? We test it with scripture because that is the standard baseline. It's our plumb line. And here's the thing. People say, well, you know what, man? I, I, I don't get deceived by false doctrine. I'm like, really? Well, then what's your, what's your solution to not getting deceived by false doctrine? Because mine is, if I want to not be deceived by false doctrine, I just put myself, 
I, I fill myself up with true doctrine, and then when something I see doesn't line up with what I know is 100% true doctrine, then I know it's false, and red flags go up. And the Holy Ghost has something to work with. He says, oh, you were studying the scriptures. You have a foundation of truth. I can build on this. This is great. But then people say, you know what, man? I just feel it. I just feel it. Like there's something that doesn't just bear witness in my spirit when I know something's false. So it, I have Holy Ghost a war, a warning sirens that go off in me. I feel when I'm being deceived. Really? So how did that work out for Isaac, who felt Jacob but thought it was Esau? Was he deceived because he trusted feelings? Or do we want to trust the word which is settled forever in heaven? And we, we really need to, we really need to come down on this because this is the thing. People are going to call you out. They're going to call you a heresy hunter. They're going to call you, they're going to call you that you're just trying to poo poo the moves of God. They're going to say, how dare you speak against God's anointed? You need to engage in this new age channeling. You need to find your center. You need to find your heavenly center. You stop speaking out against these people. You need to disengage your mind. The people that are into this contemplative prayer movement, they belittle Christians. I could quote you things where they are calling us names and and making fun of us and prophesying our doom and prophesying that God's going to destroy our ministries and that we're going to go to hell because we're grieving the Spirit and blaspheming the Holy Ghost by calling out error. And they say that we're not enlightened because because they experience God. And we're just all fuddy-duddy religious scribes and Pharisees who are legalists, who, who don't want to open ourselves up to the experiences of these new Christian mystics and the things that they give us. Before we move on to the next subject, I just want to, I want to share something with you. Please, please do not turn your mind off. Because that's what they teach now. They teach that you have to shut down the flesh, and the way to do that is to turn off your mind. Put on some soaking music. Put on some transcendental music. And, and just center yourself, calm yourself, empty yourself like a glass so that the Holy Spirit can, can fill you or soak you up like a sponge and, and, and experience God. Shut off your critical thinking. Shut off your critical mind so that the Holy Ghost can give you new, fresh revelation so that you can, and it gets crazy, they say, like, close your eyes and visualize colors and close your eyes and visualize angels. And those angels will hold keys and they'll hold scrolls. And if you can see what's on the scroll, you'll have your mission in life. And they just, they go all into this craziness. But is that what the scripture says? I want you to pause this right now and get a pen and paper. Or if you're driving and you, and, and you can't pause it, then come back to this part and write down these scriptural references I'm about to give you. Do some studying on your own of the word of God because God never encourages his people to disengage their mind while engaging prayer, study, or engaging God. On the contrary, God warns us to guard our hearts. That's in Proverbs 4, 23. We can't do this when we disengage our mind and stop discerning between truth and error rather than tell us you know, rather than following their advice where they tell us to place a cloud of unknowing over our minds, we are told to remember God's instructions and to ponder them in relation to our lives. We are to test every spirit, according to John 4.1. We are to determine whether something is from God or whether something is from Satan. 
We cannot test the spirit if we are not thinking critically. God does not desire that we disengage our minds in order to communicate with him. This is why the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15, that we should pray and worship with our spirits, but we should also pray with our minds and with our understanding. We should be led by the Holy Ghost as he leads us into all truth, but we should also worship him with our mind and with our understanding to judge, to make sure that we are being led properly. This is also why Paul thought very highly of the Bereans. Acts 17.11 says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, soundness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They didn't just take Paul's word for it. They didn't just say, well, Paul's an anointed prophet. And I mean, Paul was the real deal. I mean, he wasn't false signs and wonders. This man raised people from the dead. If anyone walked in true apostolic authority, it was Paul. But yet even Paul's like, you know who my favorite people are? They're those Bereans, man, because they don't just take what I'm saying. They Everything I say, even if I raise somebody from the dead in front of them and then claim apostolic authority, they're like, you know what? Man, we'll get back to you. We're going to check the scripture first. Most importantly, Jesus never taught contemplative prayer. Jesus never taught that prayer is seeking silence before God. Rather, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, what did he say? He said, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. Did you catch that? Say. Prayer is us talking to God. It's not silence and contemplating all kinds of crazy riffraff. When we want to hear God talk to us, then we turn to the Bible. You can find that reference in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit teaches us by bringing to us and to our remembrance what Christ has already said. John 14, 26. That's so important. Because, man, in these days, you need every tool at your disposal to be led by God. And to not put scripture in you is to limit what Christ can bring to your remembrance in key moments. Jesus never taught contemplative prayer, breath prayers, or mantras. Actually, Jesus taught us to avoid vain repetitions in Matthew 6, 7, and 4. He says, but when ye pray, ye's not vain repetition as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. The bottom line is this. God commands his people not to learn the ways of the heathen. Jeremiah 10.2 says, Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. And now we're going to discuss some of these other things. We're going to discuss the music, the soaking, these coloring books. Because what Christianity has also done is that they've taken the heathen practices of the new age, and they've put them in a Christian packaging. And God specifically says, no, 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 there is to be no mixture. You are not to learn the ways of the heathen. You are not to emulate them or copy them in any way. As we mentioned earlier, she was reading the book God Calling. And interesting story, my grandmother was in town, this was about a year ago, and she she. You know, she comes with her King James Bible, of course, and she's old school, so she has some old books. She'll bring some of these old books with her. And I guess some of the older women, they'll pass these books around and stuff. But I come down and um, 
we're all having some time together and I see this red book on the counter on the bar in the kitchen. And uh, it was just like an old school. It looked like a like a little Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, like the old like the, the old cardboard, like leatherette looking cover. And it was small. It was like a miniature book, but I, I picked it up. It didn't say anything on the cover. It was just like old school. It probably had like a, a cover that, you know, got thrown away or something like the slip cover. So I opened it up and I said, God calling. And I started to read inside of it. And I said, Gran, what what is this? And she said, oh, that's God calling. And I said, whoa, whoa. I instantly like it clicked. It was like, bam, I remembered that was the predecessor to Jesus calling. And so I warned her and, and, you know, I I really I got to be careful with my grandmother because, you know, she's like over 90 and she's still sharp as a tack. But she's she's getting older, you know, and like I don't I don't want to like weigh her down with too much stuff later in life. You know, I mean, I know she loves the Lord. I know she's walking in, in the truth, but she got her hands on this book. And she talked about how it really ministered to her. And I told her, I said, this is not God. I just, I, I was bold. I said, this is not God ministering to you. I said, this is a book written by two Catholic mystics. Mystics. Catholics. And they call themselves the listeners. That's like their title. Like you said, they're anonymous. They go by the, the two that, well, they went by the two listeners. Obviously they're, they're, you know, they've gone on to, to Sheol now. Um, <laughs> so sorry, I shouldn't laugh about that. That's not funny. Um, but anyway, I just want to make this quick point here. You know, Sarah Young was reading this Catholic mystic book and uh, I just want to read a quote that I had made a note about. She says, I began to wonder if I too could receive messages. Like that's her quote. That's what she began to wonder as she read this Catholic mystic book. And it's an old book. It's an old, old book. So she admits to getting her inspiration from these Catholic mystics. She begins to wonder if she can get messages from God the way they do. So right off the bat, she's admitting that the God she's channeling is the same God that these Catholic mystics were channeling. She admits this. She was reaching out to the same spirit that the Catholic mystics were reaching out to. And she acknowledges that she was getting the messages from the same God as them. And what's even sadder, Justin, is then ask yourself the next logical question. How many people have wondered if they could channel the same Jesus after reading Jesus Calling? That's the thing. That's the problem. The same same question that Sarah had. Can I channel Jesus? Can I, can I engage in the ways of the heathen? And then we get sucked into this new age philosophy. And I want to say this last thing. If you go and you look into some of the quotes and some of the things she's written, and, and some of this may even be in the 2004 version of Jesus Calling, I don't know. Um, but she, she did say this, and she explained that her prayer involves visualization. So basically she, she prays and she visualizes things to see them in her mind, and focus on seeing them happen in her mind, and then they happen. And this this is very, very, uh, very much like New Age and occult practices. You know, visualiz- uh, visualization is a popular occult practice because uh, the practitioners will actually believe they can create reality by imagining it into existence. You know, this is the, you see this in, in various types of witchcraft and spells and charms. Um, one of the interesting things about this, uh, and I mentioned this a long time ago. But this 
type of witchcraft practice, it's really a form of manipulation because if you visualize it and you focus on it, it's in their mind they're they're manipulating the elements and they're they're making this happen. And uh, the the children were taught this practice in a uh, Disney Channel original movie series called Halloween Town. And uh, in Halloween Town, these little girls are learning their the witchcraft of their of their family. And this girl opens up a lock, a padlock on a gate. Now she's in a multi, she's in another dimension at this point. She's, she's crossed over into this Halloween dimension. It's Halloween every day. And they're trying to get into this property and there's this big padlock and chains on the gate. Well, the head witch, who's like 13 or something, I, I forget, but she couldn't use her magic to open the lock. Well, all of a sudden the lock opens and, and she's like, wow, wow, who did that? How did that happen? And they look down and it's the little girl who's like, you know, probably first grade, <laughs> little, little, real young child. And she says, how did you do that? She says, I just visualized it and made it happen in my mind. And Sarah Young on record explains that her prayer time involves visualizing things basically into fruition. And I'm not going to go into all the details because she gets even deeper into new age descriptions of some of the the visions that she's had in this, this special prayer time of hers. We're not going to get into all that. But the last thing I'm going to say is that Thomas Nelson, the people who published this book, they're also the same publishers of the other heretical book, Heaven is for Real. We're not going to get into that. We've already talked about that uh, back with David James. But this is the, the, the these are the types of New Age things that are crossing over, and the publishers are not thinking about things from a biblical Christian perspective. They're thinking about things from a financial capital perspective. They want to capitalize as best they can. And so what a better way to do it than create Christian, quote unquote, Christian versions of what the world's doing and selling it to the church. So that's what's going on here. You cannot trust Christian books just because they say they're Christian books. Now, the other topic we're getting into now is kind of similar to this because you have found out some interesting things about these Christian adult coloring books. Now, on the surface, BDK, it doesn't really sound that dangerous. I'm going to be honest. Um, when I first heard uh, people were really criticizing adult coloring books, um, I didn't really think it was really that dangerous. Matter of fact, I was up at the store just running some errands a couple weeks ago, and uh, there's a store over here. It's kind of like Big Lots. It's like, um, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know what if you guys have Big Lots or not, but it wasn't Big Lots. I think it was a store called Ollie's, and I was walking down the strip mall, and I saw these big signs in the windows that says, we carry adult coloring books, exclamation, like like a big sign, right? Like they were letting everybody know this is the place to go if you want adult coloring books. So I, I, immediately I figured, okay, this really has to be a trend for a store to have such a big sign in a strip mall. And, and this store, they sell everything. They sell everything from groceries to you know, headphones and rugs and blanket. I mean, literally, it's like a one-stop shop. You know, I, I can't even, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like a big lots, basically. That's that's the only way I can explain it. But I saw the sign, and I remember hearing people warn about these adult coloring books, and I, I never really looked into it. Matter of fact, there's some friends of ours and even people who listen to The Fourth Watch. Um, one girl had posted a picture from her adult coloring book, and it was actually a really cool picture. It was like the Lion of Judah. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And it didn't really cross my mind until I started looking into the adult coloring books. And then you come through and you're like, hey, check out these things. And, you know, what's interesting is that 
we are seeing these in these these new age practices incorporated into Christianity now. Christianity wants their own version of the occult. And that's what we're seeing in these adult coloring books. We're seeing practices being merged. And for some of you who don't understand what New Age means, New Age really is a conglomeration of various Eastern mysticism practices, um, various occult practices, witchcraft, all kind of merged into a one world religion. So when you hear New Age, you can pretty much bet your bottom dollar that you're going to be getting elements of Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, um, all types of Hinduism, various types of witchcraft, white magic, black magic, sorcery, it's all there. It's literally an umbrella that covers all of these things. Even though many people associate Eastern mysticism and and Buddhism and Hinduism with New Age, they are part of the New Age movement, but New Age is so much bigger than that because it's it's a conglomeration of sorcery and magic. Now, you pointed something out to me that this is basically a revival of an Eastern practice. And this kind of blew my mind at first, but you found that these adult coloring books are actually nothing more, nothing less than Eastern mysticism. Yeah. And it struck me really weird because why are adults sitting there using coloring books like little children? It struck me so odd. And then I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Why are these so popular? And then I realized well, what's the secular version of it? Why do secular people, why is it so popular in the big lots? Down here, it's the Sam's Club, which is an offshoot of Walmart. Or even Walmart has these adult coloring books. The The premise behind them is adults can return to that child zen-like state of mind by going back and coloring and finding that innocence of the children, they basically are coloring to relieve the stress in their life. It's a relaxation. So now you have these Mandela or Mandala coloring books. And Mandala is a new age term. It's basically a Sanskrit word, which means a circle and metaphorically a universe or an environment or community. For centuries, in many cultures, the Mandela was used as a tool to facilitate meditation and relaxation. It was a tool to help you shut down that mind. I mean, this is Satan's thing. He wants you to shut down that mind so that he can bring falseness into you. He doesn't want you to have your guard up and to be discerning. So anything to shut down that mind. Now, they have these Mandela adult calling books and the the biggest seller is actually called the Mandela Coloring Book, and it's subtitled to promote and and to inspire creativity, reduce stress, and bring balance. For centuries, Mandelas have provided an elevated level of guidance to those seeking peace, inspiration, and a deeper connection to the world around them. Now, with the Mandela Coloring Book, you can use these sacred circles to help you find tranquility and balance in your life. That's a quote from the book. Now, here's the thing. If you line up a lot of these Mandela coloring patterns, and you can even just go online and search Mandela coloring pattern. You can go online and you can print off PDFs of these patterns, and they're these intricate adult patterns, and you color these things in, and it's supposed to help bring that relaxation to you so that you can expand the universal consciousness of your mind. But if you look at these books, right, they are almost exactly 
the same. The patterns are the same. They look the same. They just basically ripped off the Mandela's coloring books, slapped some Bible verses on the pages, and Christianized them so that they could capitalize on them. The designs are so similar. Now, if we if we wanted to even, and, and what makes this so devastating is not only is it pushing a New Age occult, but even if you give the publishers the benefit of the doubt and say that this has nothing at all to do with a New Age agenda, and even though I don't buy that, but let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's just get in their corner and say that this has nothing to do with the New Age agenda. They're just... They're just using similar designs so that people can have a point of relaxation in their life. Then this is another huge problem that we must deal with in Christianity if we are to ever have true revival and a true coming back to God. Because the modern Christian entertainment and money machine that is these Christian publishing companies are just doing this to turn a profit. These things have pretty patterns that sell. So let's slap a couple Bible verses on them and let's capitalize on the trend because Christians may not feel comfortable spending their money on blatant New Age stuff, but now they can spend their money on something that looks very similar and they can give that money to us. I mean, after all, Justin, Christians need to be stress-free too. I mean, that's why book number five, on the, on the Christian bestseller is living forward, where the basic message of the book is write down your goals, get your priorities straight, schedule time for what's important, be consistent in saying stuff to know that's not important. If you prioritize your life, the stress will be less. Or book number 12, Overload by Joyce Myers. Overload, how to unplug and unleash yourself from the pressures of stress. So, This is what Christianity is fascinated by. Evangelical Christianity is fascinated by. Now now you're saying, BDK, doesn't God want us to have peace? Doesn't God want us to color in the lines? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the thing. Doesn't God want us not to be stressed? I mean, after all, we're stressed just like the world. So maybe we need to, to, to find a way to deal with it. But here's the thing. Biblically. Peace is found in the Prince of Peace, who is the living Word of God. Peace and safety only comes when we obey the directions that God has written down for us to obey. Let's look at Noah for a second. Noah found peace and safety in an incredibly stressful environment. The world was about ready to be destroyed by flood. The world's about ready to be destroyed by fire. And it's going to get very stressful. But Noah found peace and safety. But he only found it after the hard work, time, and dedication that it took to build the ark exactly as God instructed him to do it. And God gives us every direction we need today. Every key to victory that the new age will promise you, we can find it if we follow the word of God and its commands. Well, let, let, let me just ask a couple questions here about these coloring books. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I feel like if, if we're going to talk about it, let's let's just kind of explore a couple things here. Um, because I'm, I'm sure there's going to be multiple people listening right now who, who may even have an adult coloring book. Um, and I'll even go a step further. Some, some of you listeners may have children. I know a lot of you have kids and... Um, it's very possible that you think, well, I'll just get my kid an adult coloring book that's got scripture in it, 
because it's got scripture in it. And that way, if they're going to be coloring a coloring book, why not just get them one of these Christian coloring books? So I, I kind of understand the mindset. But the thing about it is, okay, I want to watch a movie. I'm going to look for a Christian movie. I want to I want to hear music. I want to find Christian music. Well, I want a coloring book. I want a Christian coloring book. I mean, you, you kind of get what I'm saying here. Right. It's just the it's the appropriate way for a Christian to think is I want to be I want to be safe in what I bring in. And I think that's absolutely imperative. So you're you're setting out on a journey. You want to find a coloring book for your kid. And maybe this is an, an activity that you can do with your kid. So you get yourself an adult coloring book while your kid's coloring their coloring book. And then after, you know, three to four hours of filling in the lines, you've got nothing to show for yourself. You've got a piece of paper with mandala, new age inscriptions, even though it's got a little Bible verse at the bottom. Okay. But you've just spent four hours coloring this picture. That's not going to amount to crap. Right. I'm sorry. I'm just being bold. That four hours could have been spent doing something actually productive for the Lord. You know, I remember when I was 18 years old and I was living... For myself, I was living for the world, wanted to be a rock star. And I started to date a girl who was a little bit younger. I think she was like 16 or 17. I was 18. And I guess that was acceptable back then. But um, I get off work and I go to her apartment and I thought it was just going to be, you know, like me and her. Well, I'm sorry, it was her mom's, not hers, but whatever. Anyway, not not an important point. <laughs> but, but I get over there thinking it was just going to be me and her, right? I was looking forward to some alone time with her. And I get over, and again, I'm 18, so, you know, just keep that in mind. I get over there, and there's like a house full of people. I mean, like, mom's nowhere to be found, and there's like 15 people cracked out. Now, if you don't know what cracked out means, that means people were using speed. They were hyped up on crystal meth. And I didn't know that's what was going to be going on. I was not cool with that. Even at that time in my life, I was not cool with that. Hey, they want to, you know do something else. They want to get messed up some other way. I would have been cool with it, but I didn't want to be anywhere near crystal meth. Even when I was in my dark days, even when I was around it, I just, it never set right. I knew there was something absolutely demonic about this stuff. I, I just, I always knew it. All these people are hyped up on crystal meth. They're all sitting around and they're coloring, coloring books. I'll never forget this. You know, some of them had coloring books and they're just so geeked up on meth and they're just filling in the colors, chewing that bubble gum. Their jaws were grinding like a thousand miles an hour. That that's one of the side effects of people who do speed is they're they're just constantly grinding those jaws. Because <laughs> it's like all that energy has to be channeled somehow. So they just they 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 grind their jaws. They color coloring books. They tap on things. They talk whatever. But I saw this and I and, and so that's kind of like the last memory I have of a coloring book was people high because these were these were people that were too old to be using coloring books. And they're hyped up on speed and they're coloring coloring books. Now, I'm not saying that that's what adults are doing right now. I'm just making the point. That's my last memory of people coloring that were too old to be coloring. You know, and, and what's the age cutoff of coloring? I don't know. But I'm just making a point. Maybe that, that story needs to be deleted. I don't know. No, because what you're saying gets to the crux and heart of the matter. And I'm so glad you said it. Please don't delete it. Because, my God, we as Christians, we miss the essential arguments. We make these issues about what music to listen to or if we should have coloring books or how much time we should spend watching Christian movies or is X amount of time good or, X, or is there a Christian such thing as Christian video games or what can we consume as Christians that we miss the whole central argument that we need to be having. 
which is this. How much time do we spend in prayer and reading the Word of God versus being entertained by Christian things? There's a difference. When we color or listen to Christian music or things like that, it's an entertainment. It's Christian entertainment. And yeah, do I, do I, do I get stressed sometimes and I come home, I have a bad day and I just want to sit down and turn on some music and just take a moment and catch my breath? Yeah. Do, is Christian music playing? Yeah. Awesome. It's not an either or. The key issue is this. Are we trying to entertain ourselves into being the best Christians that we can possibly be? Or do we want to feed and nourish ourselves to become the strongest adult Christians that we can be? Do we want the watered-down milk or do we want the meat? It's not an either-or thing. It doesn't have to be. Here's the thing. How much time do you spend doing the hard work that it takes? I mean, Noah could have been like, you know what? I know I'm supposed to be doing the hard work of following the instructions that I'm given. But I'm stressed. So today I'm going to color. Maybe I'll say some mantras. Or maybe I'll ask Tubal Osteen for some positive affirmations to help me out with some of the stress that I'm feeling. No, there were no shortcuts to the solution of the instructions that built the ark. There was no half steps. There was no popcorn theology. It was hard, man. I remember taking art class in college and I had to, I remember doing a, a picture that I had to draw. I had to like recreate a picture of Bob Marley by making these little pictures. You know, I'm sure you've seen these pictures of like Obama or Bush with like all the little soldiers that have died under their, their rulership. You know, y'all, y'all, you seen those BDK? Yeah. That was like that, but we had to hand draw it. So we had to pick something that we liked. And at the time I was into Bob Marley. I was, I was, you know, it was before I was really maturing in my faith. So I drew a picture of Bob Marley, who's totally ungodly, totally satanic. But I drew a picture of Bob Marley with a whole bunch of little pictures making his face up. And by the time I got down, like, you know, after a few hours into it, it was almost like it wasn't me doing it. It was something else. And, and I could really foresee that same type of practice taking over as we as people do these adult coloring books. But I, I, um, I, I think it's interesting about the adult coloring books. I really do. Um, I didn't think it was really that big of a deal. And then I started to read more about it. And, you know, I, when you hear some of the claims, you really have to kind of weigh them out to see, well, are these really valid claims? Is it really going to affect everyone the same way? I don't know. But I do know what it's based off of. Knowing what it's based off of, knowing that it's the same type of patterns that are executed in these books. And I think Todd Friel did a really good job of drawing the comparison between adult Christian coloring books utilizing mandala and Christian yoga. Yeah. You know, I heard an interview with a yogi. This is a very powerful interview. I think it was uh, from a documentary called Uncoiling Yoga. And I think that's what it was called. It was put out by Jeremiah Films, great film company. They've been making Christian documentaries for many years. I mean, they were making documentaries on actual film stock, like, you know, with the film damage and everything. Um, that's how long they've been doing it. But they made a documentary, and I listened to part of it where there was a, a yogi, an actual Indian Hindu guru yogi, the real deal, and he says, you cannot have Christian yoga. He said, yoga is not an exercise. He says, yoga is a religious practice of channeling the spirits. He says, you cannot 
Christianize a religious practice that comes from his religion, which was Hinduism. You cannot do it. Anytime I see a Christian talking about I'm going to yoga, like it really, it like, it grinds my gears because it's like they're so ignorant to what yoga is. So I, when Todd Frill made that connection about the, the Christian yoga and these Christian adult coloring books all being Eastern mysticism repackaged, I kind of changed my perspective and thought, okay, there's probably a little bit more to this than what I had originally anticipated. So I think you did good by pointing this out, BDK. And again, this is not an attack on anybody listening who may have some of these coloring books. Um, there's one girl in particular. I'm not going to say your name. I know you know who you are. Um, because I commented on your post on, on Facebook about the, uh, the line of Judah, which I still think was a really cool picture, by the way. Um, this is not an attack on you. Matter of fact, when, when I saw your post on Facebook, I had not even looked into the Christian coloring books and, and I hadn't even talked to BDK about it yet. Um, after that, I started to do some digging and found some things out. So this is not an attack on you. You know, we do, we, we, we very much value you and we know you're a sister in Christ. Um, you know, hopefully you found this interesting and, you know, at least want to look into these things. Amen. So, but you know, we, as Christians, there are works that have been preordained by God, good works that we've been preordained by God to fulfill. And Ephesians, I was just reading this the other day. This is, this is so timely. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is so powerful. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. When we come to Christ, there are certain works that God has preordained for each of us to do. You know, some people don't like the word destiny. I heard my pastor say this on Sunday. Some Christians get real bent out of shape when you use the term destiny. They think, oh, that's new age destiny and, you know, all this. Well, well no, it's not really. Because when we read the New Testament, we find out that there are certain things that are predestined, preordained for us to do as followers of Christ. And Ephesians 2.10 really lays it out there. God has before ordained these good works that we should walk in them. There are certain things that each of us have been created to do for God. Matter of fact, everybody that was created, they could all have this if they would come to Christ. But this is where it gets really heavy. When we accept Christ, when we come into a full and loving and growing and saving knowledge of him, and we understand that he has created us for good works, unto his pleasure, unto his glory, kingdom works, when we realize this, we need to be praying on a daily basis that God would show us those good works that he has preordained for us to walk in. Amen. I just began praying this even more the other day as I read this passage. I had to repent. I had to say, Lord, I've got it all wrong. I'm over here, you know, looking around, but I'm not asking. I'm looking to figure these things out on my own. And that happens in the Christian walk. Sometimes we begin to, we, 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 I don't want to say we get stagnant because we're still excited for the Lord. We're still hungry for the Lord, 
But a lot of times, even as Christians who are walking in the light, we still get back, we fall back to our flesh to look for things. Sometimes we try to do spiritual things, but we try to do them in the flesh. And I had to repent and I'd say, Father, I am officially changing my mind on this. I can't find these things on my own. I need you to show me these good works for me to walk in. And I want to encourage everyone tonight, pray that prayer. Say, Father, show me those good works that you have ordained for me to walk in. And if you ask, you will receive because you are praying inside of the will of Christ. This is right out of scripture. If we ask anything in his name, he will grant it to us. Now that doesn't mean ask for a Lamborghini, but if we pray and ask for things that are in the will of God, he will give it to you. And in Jesus' name, I pray that he would show me these good works that he has ordained for me to walk in. And I want to encourage everyone tonight to pray that prayer. Let's finish by taking just a moment before I pray for the remnant. Let me speak to the remnant. And amen what Justin just said. You were foreordained to walk in the good works. Why? Because you were foreordained to be a witness for Christ on this earth. Those good works are the works that Jesus did. Let me finish by taking you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances or the instructions that I delivered them unto you. Paul's whole deal was, I'm looking towards Christ. He's my example. I want to follow that example because if people see me, they will see Christ. Paul's attitude is, I will not do the things that Christ would not do, and I will not instruct you to do the things that Christ would not do. And this is why there can be no mixture of New Age with Christianity, because when it comes to our witness upon the earth, We are either accurately representing Jesus in the name of Jesus or we are representing a different Jesus in the name of Jesus like we read about in Matthew 24. We are either a sheep or a goat. There is no hybrid. And here's where the scriptures are so clear and this is where the stakes are so high remnant. Please listen to me. If we are called to be Holy Ghost-filled lights in a dark world, then we must accurately represent the Jesus of the Scripture. And it scares me to death to think that the people that think the Jesus of Jesus' calling is the same Jesus of the Bible. And I would have to say that if a book is released in 2004 and it's still the number one book in 2016, then Matthew 24 is true and there's a big apostasy going on The fact is, the Jesus of Jesus' calling actually counterdicts what the Jesus of the Bible says. I know we talked about it before, but I want to give one final example because it will tie everything together. And it's something that Jesus wants us to know. We talked about Jesus' words in Matthew 24 to his disciples when he was standing on a mount. 
he did it again before he left. He stood on a mountain and gave some very important words to the disciples. In Sarah Young's Jesus Calling, Jesus gives a very, very different version of this. In Jesus Calling, page 29, the other Jesus, the false Jesus, says this, quote, I am with you always. These were the last words I spoke before ascending into heaven. And then they give the reference, Matthew 28, 20, at the bottom of the page. So let's look at that reference. This promise of his continued presence to the 11 disciples was on a mountain. It was a mountain in Galilee. But the real Jesus' last words were given on a different mountain near Jerusalem, which was the Mount of Olives, where his actual last words that he spoke to his disciples before ascending into heaven, we find in Acts 1, 7 through 9. And Jesus says his actual last words. He said unto them, for it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon ye, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of his sight. The very thing that Yeshua wanted you to know before he left was not some New Age mystical presence theology, some New Age theology that that fits the Jesus calling Jesus. And the last thing that Yeshua wanted us to know as the remnant is that we are to be his witnesses. We are to be the end-time church lampstands found in the book of Revelations. We are to accurately portray Jesus and not learn the ways of the heathen. We are not to mix the false with the pure. You know, Jesus walked amongst those lampstands and those churches. Those those churches were the lampstands. And I just want to break it down very simply to you. Jesus, in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, he praised the churches on one basis. He praised them if they acted like him, liked the same things he liked, and loved what he loved. But he rebuked every single church when they tolerated false teachings, false doctrines, and what they and when they would tolerate in their midst what he would not tolerate. Why? Because he must have a pure witness on this earth, foreordained to walk in those good works, to be that witness, or else he will remove the lampstand. And we are at this point prophetically, scripturally, as the end times draws to a close, we are at this point where Jesus is walking again amongst the churches. And he is judging us based on whether we tolerate what he would tolerate or whether we would leave what he would leave aside. Will we be his witnesses in this earth? Remnant, let me pray for you. And let me pray with you. Because I pray for myself too. I pray with Justin. We all need to pray this very specific prayer together. Father, thank you for making us your witnesses. Thank you for foreordaining good works for us to do. Thank you for telling us what those works were and giving us a pattern in Scripture to follow after. And that pattern is Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus, for being the living word of God. Please birth within us a supernatural hunger and desire, birthed by the Holy Spirit, to read your word like never before, and then to apply the principles we learn to our lives. Lord, souls are at stake. Lord, we want to win souls. We want to be wise. We want to be the ones who know their God, who do exploits for the kingdom of God. We want to be the ones standing strong. We want to be counted worthy to be a lampstand full of Holy Ghost oil and light in a very dark world. And you've given us this privilege. Let's stop playing with sin. Father, we repent of prayerlessness in our lives. We repent of spiritual laziness of not reading our Bibles, for valuing the things of entertainment over the things and the substance and the meat of God's word. Make us into the very, very witness of Christ in this earth. Let's get back to doing the things that he did, standing for what he stood for, loving the things he loved. Let's call to a world, as Jesus would authentically call, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God bless us as we go through this week. May he encourage us and give us strength. May he protect us by the Holy Ghost. And may the blood of Jesus ever be effectual on our behalf. Thank you for being our kinsman redeemer, Jesus. Thank you for interceding before the throne for us. Help us to live worthy of our calling. And may we be found faithful witnesses here on the earth. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of Remnant Revolution on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Until the next time we talk, God bless and good night. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted his holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of his word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. 
There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to the Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Mm-hmm.